Welcome to Aging Better in Uncertain Times. I'm Gord Martineau, in studio, alongside Dr. Fabio Varlese. Here, we help you keep informed and up-to-date on the latest in science, medicine, and technology that helps us all age better in these uncertain times. I think it's really critical to remind ourselves, uh, not that we need reminding, but that we're uh, in the middle of a pandemic. And this crisis, which is, is a global health crisis, but is also a, an economic crisis. And I think we're all becoming aware that it's a mental health crisis as well, mm-hmm. is uh, surely creating the need for us to rethink and, and, and find new approaches to many things in our society, but how we work together to create more sustainable uh, and more creative ways to aging uh, is, is critical. And, and we have to come to grips with that now. I can't wait for another year. Thanks for joining us on our weekly guide to living better, healthier lives so that we can all experience aging better in these uncertain times. Throughout this series, we're going to examine the best ways to prepare ourselves for the future. So what's the best advice for our overall health? We're going to look at every aspect affecting your life, and that means physical, mental, financial, nutritional, and medical. We'll cover all the bases. To do that, we'll supply you with high-value information from the leading experts in each field. And by that, I don't mean just everyday opinions. We'll be introducing you to the leading experts in each field, men and women who have studied, worked, and who teach also at the highest levels. You have the questions, we have the answers. Joining me here in the studio is Dr. Fabio Verlesi, a specialist in internal medicine and geriatric medicine. He's the vice president of medical affairs and the chief of staff at Runnymede Hospital, staff specialist at Baycrest Health Sciences and at Mount Sinai Hospital. Dr. Verlesi is also the assistant professor at the University of Toronto. We found a link and, and, you know, not surprising, between mental health and finances. You know, the, the stress factor involved for a lot of aging Canadians to get their finances together as they age in years is, is huge. It really is. In fact, there's uh, several studies, most of them of the self-reporting type, um, that prove very clearly that financial strains uh, and stress can affect mental health, but also the physical health of the aging uh, uh, population. And, um, and therefore, it becomes important not just to manage your finances uh, as early as possible, seek the right type of professional help, um, but as we age, it's extremely important to also be focusing on the health-promoting strategies that truly um, help the aging population cope better uh, with uh, this type of stress, which is uh, uh, very, very important on, on the mental well-being, uh, well-being of patients. Mm-hmm. And we're dealing with that today. Also joining us today is Michael Nyson. He's the executive director of the National Institute on Aging, or NIA. It's a think tank at Ryerson University dedicated to policy solutions for Canada's aging population. And as well joining us today is John Stackhouse, the senior vice president in the office of the CEO at RBC. So gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us today. Michael, I'll begin with you. Um, NIA is a think tank. So what do you think uh, the future holds for for aging Canadians? And and especially, are they thinking uh, proactively enough about their financial futures? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's top of mind to everyone. But when you look at the evidence, the question is, are they equipped to make the right decisions? Are there enough resources for everyone to gather what they need and prepare for better aging? Uh, 
and are the social conditions and the political factors in their favor. And I'd say that uh, while attention has been poured on this issue, and I think people are sort of waking up to it gradually over the past decade, there's still a lot more to do, whether it's in public policy, per- personal preparedness, or uh, healthcare systems, uh, and even finance programs for, for mm-hmm. individuals. I think the key when we look at aging is there's not a silver bullet to any of this, uh, and there's going to be a lot of little things all of us have to do to make sure we could age well. And Michael, I think what we're driving at today is that money and mental health are not inseparable. They are connected because there's a stress factor involved in both. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's always been one of those divides that we have in society, whether it's the way we structure ministries of finance and health or whether it's the bank versus the hospital. Uh, We tend to think of health and finances as separate issues. Of course, that couldn't be farther from the truth, right? If you don't have enough money to, you know, Procure good food. Uh, if you can't get out of the house reliably enough because of transportation issues, you're going to become isolated. And in fact, that's one of those things we're seeing a lot of now with COVID is, um, you know, with people being shut down, uh, you know, they're obviously losing jobs. Uh, it's not just the young who are in that position. Uh, if you're in your 40s and 50s, you might have been out of work for a period of time. Now you're also at home, isolated from friends and families. And this mm-hmm. creates a a cocktail where I think we're already seeing the effects of mental health wear on people. So John Stackhouse, uh, just to, to reinforce uh, or, or underline your credibility in this discussion, uh, you were previously uh, the chief of the Globe and Mail's report on business. You're a senior fellow at the C.D. Howe Institute and the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. And you've written a book called Planet Canada, How Our Expats Are Shaping the Future. But you're well aware of the need for people who are aging in this country to be prepared for the future years when they're going to have to rely on whatever finances they have as they age. Yeah, absolutely, Gordon. Thanks for including me in this conversation. I think it's really critical to remind ourselves, uh, not that we need reminding, but that we're uh, in the middle of a pandemic. And the sort of questions that you've been raising are even more important and critical today than they were just eight eight, eight months ago. And this crisis, which is, is a global health crisis, but is also a, an economic crisis, and I think we're all becoming aware that it's a mental health crisis as well, mm-hmm. is uh, surely creating the need for us to rethink and, and, and find new approaches to many things in our society, but how we work together uh, to, uh, to, to create more sustainable uh, and more creative ways to aging uh, is, is critical, and, and we have to come to grips with that now. It can't wait for another year. And John, you're also of the opinion that across all three levels of government, there's a significant focus on developing green policies, but you think uh, the same kind of effort should be spent on gray policies. Yeah, we, we, a bit of irony, we, we published a report uh, just before the pandemic hit in January called uh, Grayer, Greener, Smarter, Slower. And it was looking at, uh, it's called Navigating the 2020s. If uh, your listeners want to find it, they can just uh, Google RBC Thought Leadership and Navigating the 2020s. And it looks at how the decade ahead is going to be defined by uh, new approaches to a green economy, uh, to a smarter, more inno- innovative economy, probably slower growth, uh, and, and the reality of a grayer uh, demographic, uh, we, which we don't see as a burden. We think this is an important opportunity if, uh, if Canada and Canadians come at it differently. The pandemic has not changed our thinking. It's, it's really compressed and accelerated the need for, uh, the, the need for change. Uh, we're getting older as a society, 
uh, that will that will probably increase coming out of the the pandemic because we're going to have a bit less immigration, which was bringing down the median age of uh, the country. That'll 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 change in a few years' time. Um, but I think we've all seen uh, up close how ill-equipped we are for an aging society through this uh, this crisis. John, money is a huge issue with uh, aging Canadians. In your experience at RBC, do you see that it, it's it's almost a case of how you approach seniors? Like you want you don't want to be perceived as badgering seniors to get their act together when it comes to saving for their retirement. But but how do you sell them on the idea to get it together? Well, to to underscore what Michael was saying, Canadians are pretty good at saving both individually and collectively uh, for. Uh, for retirement, uh, many don't do do it enough, and that's a, an ongoing conversation. But coming out of this crisis, Gord, I, I, I think we need to rethink, and we will be rethinking uh, a number of uh, assumptions in our society, including how we work and how long we work. Uh, and there's going to be probably a need and presumably a desire for many people who are entering the, the formal senior years to continue to work, but probably in a more part-time uh, way. And, and that can be terrific for everyone in, in, involved. So income streams continue longer past that classic uh, retirement date. I, I, think, I think we're shifting away from that kind of finish line approach to, uh, to work anyway. We've always talked about the gig economy as some kind of like millennial thing. And uh, perhaps we'll see through the 2020s uh, an evolving gig economy among seniors too, which, which could be terrific. Uh, as I say, for, uh, for everyone. But that's going to take a bit of rethinking on uh, how we tax uh, certain aspects of uh, not just income, but assets or approaches to RIFs. Uh, for instance, a, a lot of these measures were put in place when we were at a, di- at a different place on a demographic curve and when we didn't have the pressures that we're going to have post, uh, post-COVID. We also need to think about how we approach assets uh, because that's critical to the financial well-being of seniors and, and the most significant asset uh, for most Canadians is is their home. Mm-hmm. It's been a great store of value for Canadians and for Canada collectively. Uh, we have uh, a good degree of confidence in the Canadian real estate market, both uh, near term and long term, and want to be sure that people who have their store of wealth, their life savings in their home, are able to unlock that wealth in a at a pace that suits them. Uh, that allows them, as Michael was saying, to age in place. That's really important. We can't just be kind of moving people immediately from a house to a, a, a big retirement home. How do we help people age in place, but probably restructure, even, even restructure the, 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 the nature of their home to, to sublet parts of it, for instance, or sell off parts of it, which has happened in other countries mm-hmm. as they draw down uh, some of that wealth to pay for their financial needs. So a really important moment for us in this crisis to think through these uh, these options to perhaps approach personal finance, pr- approach the taxation of income and assets um, in a more constructive way for an older population. So, John, we make no bones about asking people about their mental well-being and should they have any kind of mental health issues, be it substance abuse or, or what have you, that, that they seek out the proper assistance, that they go to their health care providers uh, who are simpatico to their situation, will treat them and, and guide them through the system and send them on the proper path. 
why don't we do it with finances? And and can we do it without having it sound like crass commercialism, you know, like comes to us, give us your money, that, that kind of thing. Can we do that in a kind of humanitarian fashion? No, I, I, absolutely. Financial literacy is one of the uh, kind of quiet challenges for the country. And at RBC, we're doing a lot on that front with uh, with people of all ages, but t- trying to just help people for the better public good, frankly, to understand uh, the power of money, uh, but also the complexities of, uh, of money and how to manage money in a way that uh, gives you more options at every, every stage of your life. Uh, Michael, given the fact that uh, seniors or aging Canadians are the fastest growing element of our society. And, you know, I mean, because people over 65, I think, uh, are now outnumbering people under the age of five and or soon will be. Um, are, is the government paying enough attention to this and, and can it do more uh, to, to help Canadians get prepared for the future? Yeah, I think, I mean, the answer to that is always yes. And I would start certainly with healthcare. So one of the challenges, and John identified it, is technology, right? So the, the options are out there. Uh, where we currently see a challenge with government, for example, though, is how to integrate it into a formal healthcare system, how to build those bridges between a formal healthcare system and, you know, clients, patients, people in their homes. And so I think that's one challenge where we need technology companies, organizations to work with government to figure out how to bridge that gap. Otherwise, we're at risk of having a lot of solutions that people don't know how to harness and the system doesn't know how to harness. Uh, on the financial side, I think there's an element where the government can play a role in helping Canadians make better decisions. So, you know, we're all familiar with RSPs, TFSAs, the list of acronyms goes on and on. Uh, any individual has to sort of understand how they fit into with within that mold. Uh, financial institutions like RBC are obviously there to help, but um, governments could do more. For example, we have a paper coming out showing the radical benefits of delaying CPP. So instead of taking it at 60, which is the earliest you could take it, right. and which is when most Canadians take it, you wait until 70, you can get 150% more indexed uh, income for life. Um, and that's something that, you know, Canadians might not know about. Or if you're low-income Canadian, TFSAs are probably better for you than RSPs. And I think you know, the government that creates all these problems, uh, programs and regulates them, I think, has a hand to play in helping Canadians steer through it. And and pensions, you know, are, are certainly something, John, that, that uh, you know, you deal with at RBC on a daily basis. I mean, are, you know, it's important for aging Canadians to understand they can't just be thinking they're going to rely on the Canada Pension Plan to save their, their, their butts, you know, in as they age. That can't be the sole source of, of, of revenue for them. They've got to be prepared. But it's, it's a tough call, I guess, to get people into that line of thinking if they aren't already there, because you don't, you don't want to be seen as trying to shove them in a specific direction. Absolutely. And we all know that the longer you delay saving, the, 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 the steeper the hill is to, uh, to climb. So this isn't just a conversation for uh, older people. It's a conversation to help younger Canadians uh, think through as they as especially enter their, uh, their earning years that uh, you're never too young to think about retirement. Uh, mm-hmm. Harder when you are young to, uh, to think about it, but uh, retirement is better when you plan for it and you plan for it earlier. In your book, Planet Canada, and how the expats are, are shaping the future, are they shaping the future that will be in, in, in a good way for aging Canadians? Is there specific areas where they're experimenting or, or developing new products or services? Yeah, it's, a, it's a, such a great question, Gord. So the, the, the book looks at the population of uh, two to, it's two to three million Canadians who live, work or study 
outside the country. I, I call it our 11th province. Mm-hmm. And we're one of the only countries in the world that doesn't have a, a, an ambitious strategy for this diaspora. Uh, you'll find Canadians pretty much in every good organization in the world, running many of the world's best universities, uh, senior people in, in large companies around the world, and also working on aging issues in different countries. And one of the ideas that uh, the book really pushes for is to build real networks of Canadian talent and knowledge around the world. So as we think about retooling, rewiring our economy, our society to make it uh, healthier, safer, uh, more financially uh, amenable for people as they age, how do we tap into this network of Canadians uh, around, uh, around the world who can bring some of the best thinking on robotics or on AI, but also around public policy, around pensions, uh, for instance. Michael, you have a lot of experience in dealing with elder Canadians because you are the Director of Policy and Strategic Planning for CARP, the Canadian Association for Retired Persons. So is it your experience uh, that, you know, when you, when you talk to aging Canadians, a lot of them um, kind of throw their hands up in the air and just say, they, they, look, I just don't want to deal with this or I don't have the patience or I don't have the confidence in my finances. What am I going to do? You know, there's a bit of that, but I think the other element that I'd like to underscore, and maybe specifically for my time at CARP, uh, engaging with uh, thousands of older Canadians, is it's important not to victimize them. I think there are certain strengths that they have that they could lend to younger generations, uh, you know, even to John's point, uh, you know, intergenerationally, uh, where they're doing better. So, for example, we just ran a poll uh, this summer, released the results recently with TELUS Health, looking at the effects of social isolation and mental health. And so, not surprisingly, most Canadians reported an increase in feeling isolated and lonely. Uh, but the interesting finding is that younger people, so people under the age of 45, are actually feeling the effects more severely than older people. Uh, older people are reporting feeling a bit more resilient. Uh, you know, they know how to handle it. And I think at a time when we're dealing with, you know, a pandemic, mass uh, mental health issues, that there's an element of resiliency in older people that we're not accessing. We're always quick to sort of victimize them. Uh, but to an extent, I think they're a bulwark. You know, they've gone through life. They know things. They, you know, they have the metal to, to withstand a lot of the things that younger people are still just dealing with. And I think that's an element that we have to tap. And, and that goes to the workforce, too. You know, there's still ageism in place. People are getting pushed out of work. They're not getting promotions. And I think that's a, a missed opportunity for seizing on the human capital of older people. John Stackhouse, uh, you're the senior VP in the office of the CEO at RBC. I imagine they're glad to have you. Thanks for your thoughts today. And uh, also, Michael Nyson, the executive director of National Institute of Aging. We really appreciate your comments and your insights that you've offered us today. Thank you so much, and uh, we really appreciate it. All the best to you. Thanks, Gord. Some final thoughts now with Dr. Varlese's prescription to aging better. All important and relevant information when it comes to mental health and finances. I think people learned a lot today, I know I did, about not only the importance of doing it, but the significance of of it on your overall mental health. Absolutely. We learned so much today. No doubt that uh, financial stress has an impact on the mental health and well-being of the aging population. 
um, but also on their physical well-being. And um, aside from um, being able to plan with great anticipation about uh, the type of financial uh, stability we're all hoping for in in our futures, uh, it's important to be paying attention also to health-promoting strategies that really truly help us uh, um, be engaged. In fact, you know, um, retirement, which should be in the time in our life where we celebrate, you know, a life of uh, incredible achievements and work, um, we're finding that uh, there's increases in incidence of uh, mental health problems, increased uh, chronic um, disease um, and uh, issues uh, that uh, sometimes affect the quality of lives of, of patients. In fact, we're starting to see that um, retiring later, maybe even having a part-time part-time job or uh, continuing to engage with the community. So you can ease your way into the situation more Well, no, there's a, there, there, this seems to actually have a positive impact mm. on, on, on our own health, right. both mental and physical. So that engagement, that participation, and the sense of contribution, uh, many uh, patients of mine who are aging tend, in fact, to contribute by volunteer work and uh, charitable um, uh, sort of like um, activities. Okay, thanks for that. And as we wrap up today, please, folks, get a flu shot. The information is at myfluShot.ca. Questions about aging better can be emailed to info at agingbetter.ca or by visiting our website at agingbetter.ca. Aging Better in Uncertain Times, brought to you by Delos, Runnymede Health, Jewel 88.5, L'Oreal, La Roche-Posay, Vichy, Avicana, and Sanofi Pasteur, in part through an educational grant. Be sure to drop in for your next doctor's visit on Jewel 88.5, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. or at Jewel885.com. Until next time, I'm Gord Martineau with Dr. Fabio Varlese, along with producers Dominic Schulo and David Sirsta. Be well and stay safe.